So 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Anybody in here obtained faith? Anybody washed in the blood? Anybody's name written? Anybody know where you're going when you die? He says he's talking to us with through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you that through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our text this morning really comes from verses 3 and 4. According as his divine power has given unto us how many things? All things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Verse number four, whereby we're giving unto us exceeding and great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I want to look for a few minutes this morning at a message simply titled One Light. God, thank you so much for the light. Thank you for the one light. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that we come washed in the blood. Lord, we come this morning just to serve you. Lord, we come to lift up holy praises to you, God. We come seeking something from you, God. I pray for every broken heart, every struggling health, every struggling marriage. I pray for every financial situation. I pray for every problem that walked in these doors this morning. I pray you'd pour your spirit out on each, God. I pray that you'd meet each need. And I pray you'd touch each heart, God. I pray above all, would you help us to be pleasing to you? Lord, we love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious, sweet, and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So <laughs> anybody ever watch that, that TV show called Bear Grylls? Is that how you say that, Bear Grylls? Did I get that right? So I'm, I'm not, I, I, I've watched it and, you know, that guy calls himself a survival specialist. I got a problem with that when it's all planned and a helicopter is going to drop me out and I've mapped out everything I'm going to do and everywhere I'm going to go and every day I'm going to spend and when and where the helicopter is going to pick me up. That's not what I consider dropped off in the wilderness. That's just like a camping trip without the camper and that's all cool. I'm all about that. You know, being dropped off in the wilderness means you don't know where you are. You don't have no supplies. You don't have no. Can you imagine being truly dropped off in the wilderness? I mean, no compass. No weapon, no protection, no food and water, no idea where you are, thousands of miles from, from anything, no lights. I mean, you have absolutely nothing. No, we, we would probably get pretty good at our prayer life. Amen. And we'd get pretty good at following the Holy Spirit. We have a, a problem following the Holy Spirit right now in this life because there's so many options. There's so many things going on. But if we could just narrow it down to one thing, it probably would get a lot easier to follow which way the Holy Spirit said go when we don't have any idea which way we ought to go. Amen. Anybody ever feel like that's kind of where your spiritual life is? I mean, somehow we ended up in... In like a wilderness area, not really sure which way to go. Want to do something, want to be pleasing, but just, just can't find a way to get as close to God as we really want to be. See, there, there's no doubt that, that at some point in, in everybody's life, that there are some serious challenges. But God has given us the answers before we ever get to the questions. <clears throat> Several years ago, I was bow hunting elk. North Oak Creek, Colorado, about 20 miles north of Steamboat Springs, if that helps you, one of the ski resorts. But 
We on for about three years prior to, they would carry us up this road through the BLM land. And they would drop us off at the edge of private property, and we were seven miles from camp. And they'd drop us off there, and we would hike our way in, and we would hunt our way back down through. And every night, we'd end up back at camp. But on that particular year, we obtained permission to carry our own vehicle up there. So now we can hunt further in. We don't just have to hunt back into the main area. And we got out that day, and it was it was late in the morning. I'd sit down to get something. I'm I'm glassing the hills and over all the way on the next mountain, man, I see a herd bull and he's the reason I went to Colorado. Like I got my name on him or he's got his name on, on I, somehow or another, we got to get together. And so I, I'm, I'm with, with Dan and Randy. I say, hey man, I see you guys tonight. I'm tracking out. You're going to that mountain. I said, yep. I'm going to that mountain. That's where he's at. So, so I set out that way and it becomes, a, when you get a herd bull like that, they've got about. 30 cows around them. They, they, there's other satellite bulls trying to steal cows, and he's busy, so he don't come to calls. He's not interested in what I got to say. He's just protecting his territory. So the only way to really hunt one like that is to try to keep the wind in your favor, get ahead of the harem, and let them come by, and, and hope that, for those of you who don't hunt, I'm sorry, just bear with me because I love it, hope that he gets close enough you get the shot that you want. And I mean, at one point, he's probably 18 yards from me. I'm sitting in a ditch. The only problem is I've got a cow standing about four yards from me. And I'm looking through her legs at him. Doesn't do much good when you're bow hunting, right? So they keep passing. And now you've got to pull out, get behind the herd and do it all over again. So it's about an hour and a half before dark. They've moved up into the dark timbers. And if you're familiar with those, it's spruce trees. It's really dark. It's really thick. My backpack, and what your backpack, you, you start out in the morning. It's kind of like here, you know, where it's freezing in the morning. You dress in layers because it's burning up in the afternoon. As soon as the sun goes down, it's freezing again. Y'all know, right? I mean, today's a really good day to talk about how cold the wind is. So you start out with your backpack. You've got food and water and supplies. And as you take those out, you're shedding layers of clothes. Because when it gets dark, you've got to put those layers back on. So I got my backpack. I got my fanny pack. Well, I'm a little bit big in the woods. I can't get through there. I can't do what I want to do. So I decide I'm just going to leave the backpack here so I can get through the dark far. So I take the backpack off and I set it down and I continue my track. And I'm getting closer. And we got above the dark timbers into kind of like oak scrub bushes. They're about 10 or 12 foot tall. They're super thick. And it got so thick. I'm like, man, I've got to be quiet. I'm getting really close. And I've got to be quiet. So I decide to take off my fanny pack, which has my quiver on it. So I take off my fanny pack, I get my skin and knife, put it on my belt. So I have a bow in this hand, a skin and knife in this hand, and I get one arrow in this hand. And that's Robin Hood. I'm headed after him. And I left my fanny pack laying in the woods. And I keep tracking across the mountain. And finally, I get in a position. And I wind up right in the middle of, of, of his harem. I mean, there's cows all around me. I can't see 15 yards, but they're moving all in. I see the herd bull running another smaller six by six out. And I come up with a brilliant idea. I'm in the middle of his cows. Now, if I, he thinks I'm a little small bull standing in the middle of his cows, he's coming to see me. And that's what I thought I wanted. <laughs> so I looked the other way. And I said, <laughs> I turned back around and it sounded like a train coming through the woods. <laughs> and he thought I was a little bull in amongst his cows. And at about, oh, from me to that drum set, he comes busting through the bushes. And I went, huh? <laughs> Pulled my bow back, scared him as bad as it did me. So he turns, and so I, I get the shot that I want. And now I got to sit down and try to keep from hyperventilating. I'm over 8,000 feet. I nearly just got run over by a six by six. 
And, I, and I'm about to pass out, and anybody that bow hunts understands the adrenaline rush. So I'm, I'm sitting there trying to calm down, and, and, and it gets dark. And I decide, okay, I'm going to go down here and mark my spot where it was when I shot. And then I'm going to go back and get my, my fanny pack. And, and, and then I'll come back and, and, and go track my elk. And guess where my flashlight's at? Two in that fanny pack and one in the backpack. The fanny pack's about a half a mile that way in the dark forest, and the backpack's about a mile that way. The truck's about three miles that way, camp's about nine and a half miles that way. I got a problem. So I decided I got to go find the fanny pack. Well, I didn't go 200 yards. This is a true story. I'm at over 8,000 feet. I'm in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, north of Oak Creek, Colorado, in the middle of nowhere, and got tangled up in an old barbed wire fence. Can you explain that to me? I mean, like fall out of a plane or what? I don't have a light. I can't see. It's just tangled around me. It's in my boot laces. I done tore my pants. So I finally get undone. I'm thinking, okay, this ain't a good plan. I mean, it's already smut black in the dark timbers of the spruce, the dark timber. They call it dark timbers for reasons dark in the daytime. I thought, I'm never going to find that fanny pack. I got to come up with another plan. So there's a little shelf that carries me over a place called Pinnacle Peak. You know, again, this is early 90s. There ain't no cell phones. You better study some topo maps and know where you are before you go out. You're in the middle of nowhere. So Pinnacle Peak is a reference point. You can sit almost anywhere. It extends above the tree line. When you, get, when you get high enough elevations, you get above the tree line. You get into the grassy, the meadow areas. I said, man, I'm going to have to get up on Pinnacle Peak where I can see. I, I got I to find a way out of this. So I get up on Pinnacle Peak. I climb up and... And I'm looking over here, and I mean way, way down yonder in that valley. Way, like, I can tell there's a light. That's all I can tell. There is one light, a light in that valley. Whew, man. Well, I'm looking all around. There ain't nothing out here. The truck's three miles that way, and ain't nothing but darkness out there. Count's nine, nine and a half miles that way. There ain't nothing out there. Now, I walk around Pinnacle Peak, and... I get to the other side, and way down in that valley, as far as I can see, there's a light. Well, light means life, right? Some, some form of. So I got a decision to make. The wind's coming from this way, and it's getting cold. Like I'm cold. Like you'd be out there right now in a, a T-shirt. Or really last night. You know, that wind was cold last night, right? And, and I'm down to a T-shirt, and the wind's done got cold. So if I go this way, I got to walk into the wind... It's in my face. I got to dehydrate more. Uh, If I go this way, at least the wind's to my back. And now I can, can, once I get over the mountain, maybe it'll stop. So I decide I'm going to head towards that light. So so here's, here's my point. There were options just like in life. I had to pick one and go with it. I had to decide which option looked the best. I had to decide this is the way. Walk ye in it and stay the course. I, I, I had to, to make a choice. See, I, I had choices and, and I decided to go towards the light. Now, here's reality. Once I dropped back below the tree line, I could no longer see the light. I just knew which way the light was. I just knew I had to keep going in that direction. There were challenges along the way. Y'all remember I didn't have a flashlight, right? Once I finally got out of dark forest and got into the aspens a little better and I got into the lowland, I fell in a creek. How do you fall in a creek? It's simple. I didn't have a flashlight. I couldn't see it. Soaking wet. 
I, I get a little further. Now I'm down into the meadows. I'm down to where there's pastures and stuff. Fall into an old well. Thank God it wasn't deep. I was able to climb back out of it. My knife fell out of my holster. I had to find it. See, there were challenges between me and the light. But I just had to stay focused on the light. I, I couldn't be distracted by all the challenges and all the things. I just had to keep going towards the light. There, there were options. I mean, my fanny pack's that way. That's an option. It's just not a good option. My, my backpack, the truck's over there, three miles. That's an option. It's just not really a good option. Now, camp, that, that, we've made that seven-mile walk down that valley for three years in a row, all week long. So if I can get back over in that valley, but that's not a very good option. Staying on the mountain, that was an option. <clears throat> I considered it. You understand, the guys I'm with, they have no idea what happened to me. They're all thinking I'm dead. I have no way to tell them nothing. I have no way to communicate. They're, even if they didn't set up cell phones, wouldn't have been towers out there in that day. The problem with staying on the mountain is my fanny pack was my survival kit. It has one of them big 55-gallon trash drum bags. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the big black ones that go into the drums. So you can put that plastic bag over you and you can poke a little hole right here so you can breathe. And then I have my candle in it with my waterproof lighter, my matches, so you can light it and you can survive some extreme colds. And you need to out there. You never know, man. It can be sunny one minute and be four inches deep in snow four hours later. It just changes. The only problem is all that stuff's in that fanny pack. So those are all options. They're just not good options. I just decided I need to set my my focus on this light and I need to go there. See, I made up my mind that, that there's some form of life and, and I'm just going to set my, my focus there. And so once I decided where I was going, all distractions were removed. It didn't matter the challenges. It didn't matter how many times I got stabbed by limbs I couldn't see and how many times I tripped and fell or how many creeks I fell in. I wasn't going to stop going that way because I was focused on going that way. See, sometimes we just need to rule out all other options in life. Sometimes we, we just need to rule out all the other options and we just need to follow one light. You know, the world and the devil is really good at offering options. The devil offers all kind of options in this world and he makes them look so attractive. But the truth is God has already given us a roadmap to get us through life. God has already given us everything we need. He's provided us with all that we need to help us navigate through this life. So, so here in our text, we have this man named Peter who walked with Jesus face to face on this earth. And, and what Peter said is that God gave us everything we need. Not some things, not, not most things that he gave us. Everything that we need. So God has provided the resources for you and I as children of God to confidently live the life that we were created to live. You know, you have a purpose. You're not some cosmic accident. You're, 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 you, God knew you. We're no different. The word of God do, doesn't discriminate between people. If, if, if God knew one, then God knew all. Before we were ever formed in the mother's womb, there was a place, right? Jer Jeremiah may be a prophet, but he doesn't have any access to anything that you don't. So, so we, we were given everything that we need to confidently live the life that we were created to live. Now, I mentioned Bear Grylls because I wanted to share something about it. I, I may have watched that show twice. If I, do, if I did, I don't remember the second time. I remember the one time I watched it. So, for those of you watching, does he always carry a celebrity with him, or was that just the one I watched? 
Huh? That was just the one I watched. So the one I watched, he lands in his little helicopter in Africa. And about three or four hours later, this, this celebrity movie star woman, she comes and she's going to be with him for the week. That's it. I guess this is guest on the show and drops him off there in Africa. And so they do their greetings and that stuff. And, and they start going their way. And then they come up on this herd of elephants. And he's describing how dangerous the elephants can be and how, you know, especially the herd bull and don't want to offend him. And, but here's something we got to do. We got to have water. I'm thinking, you just got out of the helicopter. <laughs> so apparently, and I realize it's probably for the show, she had an empty canteen in, in her thing. So I guess she was told to bring the empty canteen. But he says, we got to have water because the heat here in Africa is really bad. And you can get dehydrated really fast, creates dizziness, confusion. So we got to have some water. And he goes over to this big old pile of elephant dump. And, I mean, it's this nasty pile of green, chopped up, watery. I mean, like, this elephant needed some Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> and, and he picks up. He picks up a double handful of this stuff. And he starts talking about how the elephant digests its food so fast that, that it, has a, it retains a lot of water. And it's just running down his arms and dripping off his elbows. Green. Lovely, right? Y'all ready for Longhorns? <coughs> Don't get the salad. <coughs> so <coughs> he's telling her, and, and she, she's like gagging. And he says, we got to have this water for hydration. She's like, you got to be kidding me. He says, no, get the canteen. And he says, no, here, you hold this. And she's like, I ain't holding that. No, we got to you hold this. So he hands her this big old pile of elephant poop, and it squishes through. And she's like, <coughs> And, and, and she's squeezing, and he's catching it over there in the, in the canteen. And then he takes a drink of it. I'd rather die of dehydration. <laughs> if I'm going to die, let me die of something different. I don't want to punish myself along the way. Let me just die. So he tells her, here, you need to take a drink. She's like, not in this lifetime. <laughs> no, no. No, you did not. Y'all thought I was making this stuff up, didn't you? So, so she takes like one little drop, touches it to her tongue, nearly throws up. And she says, that stuff tastes exactly like what it is. So, so why, why would I be telling you that? Why, why would I? Talk, because there are so many Christians in this world who are trying to live like survival specialists who are squeezing water out of elephant poop to try and survive when our God can give you a river of water running from the rock at Horeb, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Everything is available. And we got Christians trying to squeeze poop to get water out of elephant dung. God says, I have given you everything that we need. Verse number three. Peter says that we have this power according to his divine power. That's God's power. That's an unlimited power. That's the power that in the beginning spoke the earth into existence. Span the stars across the heaven. Telleth the number of the stars and calleth them all by name. 
That's the hand that hollowed out the oceans, set waters in there and set bounds about them that they could not pass beyond it. That's the power. There is no problem on this earth. There is no problem in our life that God's power is not great enough to take care of. We, we have no situation when we become a child of God, all of that power becomes available to us. And it says in the text, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. See, sometimes we think that our problem is too big, but that's because we lose sight of the light. We lose sight of the size of God's power and, and all that God can do. Sometimes we, we look at the size of our situations in this life and we begin to see ourselves as a victim. But we don't have to be victims in this life. We can be victorious in life because the power of our God is unlimited and it is promised to us. Then Peter says in verse number four. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we have God's power and we have God's promise that this power is available to us. Now, the only way the power is available to us is through a relationship, right? We must have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that, that personal relationship. But, but it must be a, a working relationship. It must be an involved relationship. We must read this book. It, it must be a relationship that, that requires or has some, some conversation in it. We talk to God. God talks to us. The only way that works is through reading this book and, and through prayer. We, we cannot ignore the book. If we're not going to pray and we're not going to read, then we have no right to complain. Amen. God has promised us this power, right? And God never breaks a promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. That word yea means yes. All of the promises of God in him or yes. Now it's up to us to read them. It's up to us to, to, to pray for them. We, we don't have to go searching for God's promises. They're all right here. They're all, they're all written. They're all recorded. All we have to do is read them. And I believe that if we'll take time to pray and seek God's will and then begin to read this, that the Holy Spirit will show us whatever promise we need for that day. Whatever promise you need for this trial. Everybody know that trials change. Situations change. Troubles change. If you're having a bad day, pray your way through. It can get better in a minute. If you're having a good day, thank God because it can change in a minute. Things change. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, when we read this book, can show us whichever promise we need at the time. What Peter's trying to show us is that we don't have to wait for the promises of God. We don't have to wait. There. Yeah, they're, they're already here. We already have them. All, all we have to do is, is read them. We don't have to, to sign up for them. We don't have to enter the drawing and hope we get drawn in the raffle and that God gives us that part. All we have to do is, is read this book. And God has given us everything that we need through his precious promises. You know what's crazy about us as people? And I say us, king of the hill. All we have to do is read this book. But we don't have time to read. 
I hate to read. And that's really, that ain't just all. I mean, like, I really hate to read. But I love what I learned from reading. So I do things I don't like to gain, to gain the knowledge. But here's what's crazy. We'll skip reading the Word of God in the morning, but we'll take time to read a devotion. We'll read a little devotion booklet, and we'll read a devotion on our phone. I'm not, I'm not throwing rocks at your devotion. Devotions are fantastic. I do lots of them if you use them in addition to God's Word. But they're the worst thing on your day if you use them to replace God's Word. You can't replace the reality of the book. We have to put it in. So we will, we'll, we'll settle for reading devotions. We'll read other books written by men. We'll, we'll, we'll watch YouTube videos. We'll pull up all kinds of stuff to, to try to find it. But if we want God's power in our lives, it's not some big secret. All we need to do is just read the book. And, and read the book over and over. Why, why would God offer this to us? Why would God provide us with this divine power through, through his promises? Because he wants to do something in our lives. God has a specific plan and a specific purpose for each one of us. The Bible tells us that as believers in Jesus Christ, that we're to be set apart. How, how are we supposed to be different from this world when we're in this world? I mean, does anybody ever wonder how am I supposed to live a Christian life in the darkness that surrounds me? I mean, how, how is, is simple little me, how am I supposed to make a difference in this world? Well, it's simple. It starts with seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It, it has to start out with the one simple fact that we cannot be absorbed with the things of this world. We have to put the things of God first. And then number two, we must be different. And we have the power of God in our lives to do that through Jesus Christ. Now, here's a simple fact. We can do all things, Philippians 4.13, Paul tells us, right? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But that's the key right there. Through Christ. Because in John 15, 5, Jesus is talking, he's teaching, and he says, but without me, you can do nothing. So we know that we can do all things, but it's all things through Christ. So Peter, Peter tells us here in our text that, that we have this power according to his divine power that's given us all things, and we have this power within us if we'll just use it. We, we've been given everything that we need to live the life that we were created to live. Anybody still with me? I ain't put nobody to sleep yet, have I? If they, if they sleep, wake them up. I, I, I want to share one more story. Y'all good for one more story? I, I, I want to share one, I promise you. If you bear with me through the story, I promise you at the end, it, it'll make sense. It's a story about a fish. Anybody like fishing? Too bad we ain't going fishing. But it involves a fish. <laughs> so, in, anybody ever heard of the Mariana Trench? So, per Google... Mariana Trench is an oceanic trench located in the western Pacific Ocean, about 124 miles east of the Mariana Islands. It is deepest, the, the deepest oceanic trench on Earth, at least the deepest that man knows of. It is crescent-shaped. It measures about 1,580 miles in length and 43 miles in width. That's a big old valley. Anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? So you've seen how far it is across, and you've seen you can't see the ends, and you looked at the sedimentation layers on the far side of the banks. Now, I didn't measure the Grand Canyon, and I didn't measure the Mariana Trench. 
So I'm just reading what they say, okay? But if you've seen the Grand Canyon, that's a pretty good-sized ditch, right? It'd take a minute to fill that one up. They say that the Mariana Trench is 120 times larger than the Grand Canyon. Wow. So here's what it says. It says that at 36,201 feet deep, the deepest point of the trench is more than 1.2 miles further down from sea level than the peak of Mount Everest is above sea level. So y'all have at least seen pictures of Mount Everest, right? Snow-covered caps, freezing, no air, thin oxygen. And it's like the mountain climber's dream is to climb Mount Everest, right? So what they're telling me is that when you get to the top of Mount Everest, where everything's frozen and everything's cold and the air's so thin that you can't breathe, you got to go another 1.2 miles. That's 5,280 feet plus the point two. Um, I don't know, 6,300 and some odd feet. So when you get to the top of Mount Everest, you got to go over 6,000, 6,300 and some change more feet high to flip that over and get to the depth of this trench. That's a pretty good size hole in the ground. And again, I'm going on what they tell me, but here's what they tell me. At the bottom of the trench, the pressure from the water is 15,750 pounds per square inch. Now, I know that water has pressure. Anybody dive in a pool and go to the bottom of the pool? You feel that pressure in the bottom of the pool? Daytona Beach, Florida, how many years ago, Lord, I don't even know, went to the ten, bottom of a 10-foot pool because y'all don't know this, but we used to have to have keys to our hotel rooms. Well, I mean like a real key in our pocket. We had to keep up with it. Well, it fell out of my swimming trunks, went to the bottom of the pool. I went to the bottom of the pool, and just at 10 feet, it busted my eardrum. I get back up, had to go to medical, got all kind of infection, just at 10 feet. So they're telling me that at the bottom of this, it is 15,750 um, pounds per square inch. Now, I, I want to help you understand what that is. Do I have a picture of the car being lifted up? We had a picture. I asked Dale to give us a picture. So y'all know what car crushers are, right? They carry the cars to the scrapyard, and there's one or two ways. They have these giant magnets that they put down and stick to the top and pick them up, or they have these grapple arms, and they pick them up with the grapple arms, and they take these cars, and they drop them into the crusher, and the crusher makes them into a nice little compact cube, right? Wonder what kind of car that is. See, the point, I mean, you see the skidster in the background, right? So you can tell that that, that that thing's smaller than, I mean, it's about the size of one of these little subs down here. Maybe a little bigger now. Here's why I'm showing you that. The machine that did that applies 2,000 pounds per square inch. 2,000 pounds per square inch did that to that car. The pressure at the bottom of the Mariana Trench is 15,750 pounds per square inch, nearly eight times greater than the pressure that did that to a car. That's pretty solid, huh? So y'all with me about the bottom of the trench and the pressure? Y'all, y'all, everybody's still up. I ain't put you to sleep yet. So as best as I can tell from Google, the first time we could get a machine that would go down there and not implode and actually come back up was around 1960, but it was in the 2000s before we could really do successful man machines and send them down there. And it was 2014, according to Google, that they discovered this fish. Anybody ever heard of a fish called the, the Mariana snailfish? Y'all heard of that fish? Yeah, you've had no reason to unless you're just studying this. Can I get my little fish? 
So, so this little pale white, this little, this little guy is called the, the Mariana snailfish, supposedly discovered 2014. Here's what it says. He lives at the depths of the Mariana Trench, between, at depths between 20,000 and 26,500 feet below sea level. This little pale tadpole-like creature averages around 11 inches in length and weighs about a third of a pound. You got another picture of him? Harder. So, so that's, what, that's what this little guy looks like. Kind of ugly. 11 inches. How long does that say? That one's about 15. Is that in inches or do we even know? I don't know. So anyway, that, that's supposedly a, a picture of him. So, but here, here's, here's what they say about the fish. Okay, here's what I want you to hear in scientific terms. Various anatomical, physiological, molecular, and genetic adaptions help this species survive in such depths under great pressure. You with me? Now let me read that to you the way I write it down in plain English. <clears throat> God <clears throat> has created this little small, insignificant looking fish that has a flexible bone structure. And he has an internal pressure that is equal to the external pressures at ocean depth so that that fish can comfortably survive and thrive under the extreme pressures of the Mariana Trench. See, God didn't just put the fish in the ocean and he just found his way into the trench and God hoped that he could survive under the pressures. God prepared and placed that fish under these pressures with everything that he needed to survive the pressure. Just like God didn't put you and I into a world full of pressures and trials and troubles and temptations and situations and we just find our way into problems and hope that we survive. God prepared us with a pressure from the inside out that could take care of the pressures that come from the outside in so that we could survive and be a light in a dark world. We didn't just happen to get here. We're not some cosmic accident. God has prepared us to live under the pressures of this world. Anybody know what pressure feels like? Trials. Troubles. Situations. Call them what you want. They add up to the same thing, don't they? Do me, do me a favor. You guys go ahead and stand right where you are. Band, you, you come on up. You know, you, you can think of a lot of things. You can, you can put it in a lot of different ways. Life. Family. Your job. Oh, yeah, you had to throw that in on Sunday, didn't you? Marriage. Health, finances, did I leave some out? You, you, you got one that ain't covered in that? You know what I'm talking about? Pressures of life, struggles and trials and, and, and just, just, just trying to survive. I, I wonder, I wonder if there's anybody this morning Just struggling 
I wonder if there's anybody among us that's going through some trials. I wonder if there's, if there's any, any issues in our life that are causing pressures, that, that cause us to stay up at night or, I don't know, miss a meal. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Here's what I want to do this morning. I want anybody that's going through anything. You just, need, you just need a little focus on the light. You just need a little help. Just a trial, a storm, whatever situation it is. I want you to bring whatever you got. And I want you to bring it to this altar. And we're going to do something for you. We're going to do something. Because see, I believe... I believe that not only can God take care of your situation, I believe he's already prepared us to deal with the situation. We just got to get with him sometime to be reminded of the power of our God. Sometimes it's just a matter of, of just getting real with God. It's okay. You don't have to bring yours down. You, you can take yours home with you if you want to. You can try to work it out on your own if you want to. You can just keep clicking at it and, hey, I'll figure it out by myself. You can if you want to. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just offering you a chance to bring it to the altar, to hand it to God. And I want to do something for you. I'm going to wait for a couple coming out of the balcony. Because I don't, want to, I don't want to do it without anybody. Whatever problem you got, whatever situation you're facing, God... God prepared that fish with an internal pressure to match the external pressures of his world. God prepared you and I from the inside to match the external pressures of the things that we're facing. But sometimes we just got to spend some time with the creator. Sometimes we just got to come. I don't know. Maybe our pressure gets a little off like a tire gets low in air. And we just need to get up next to the compressor and get kind of recharged to handle the pressure of the things that are going on around us. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. All of these are dealing with pressures. And I believe in the power of prayer. I'm going to ask you if you can, will you come gather around them? Put your hand on their back. And if you can't reach them, touch the person you can reach. If you can't come, it's okay. You can pray from where you are. But if you're physically able to come pray, I'm going to ask you to come gather around these people and make a circle around them. You don't have to know what their pressure is. You don't have to know what their problem is. You don't have to know their situation. Here's all it takes. God, you said where two or more agree, I'll be there in the presence. And all I'm going to ask you to do is say, God, I don't know what their problem is, but I agree with this. They came down here to ask you for your help. And I agree with them. Will you help them deal with the pressures that they're facing? Touch their life. Meet whatever need it is. Will you meet with them right where they are?